Hi everyone, it is Courtney and Devin again for another episode of Eat Me and Question Everything. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Anthony Chafee. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Chafee. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I'm sure 99% of the people who are watching this know who you are already, but can you just give us like a quick rundown of you, yourself, what you're doing, and how you found carnivore? Yeah, so um, I'm an American doctor. I'm currently practicing in Australia, um, specializing in neurosurgery, but I've also always had an interest in diet and nutrition, how that affects health and disease, and, and also athletic performance coming from a um, um, you know, professional rugby background. I was always very interested in that. And so that was something that, you know, 20 some years ago, I was taking cancer biology and just learned how toxic plants were and how uh, they were carcinogenic and mutagenic, and they could have all these defense chemicals because that's how they survive in nature. That's how they stop animals and insects and, and fungus and things like that from eating them. So I just stopped eating plants altogether after that and uh, felt amazing. And uh, my athletic performance and uh, intellectual performance went through the roof at the time. And I slipped off of it because I, I didn't really realize how significant it was. And then I didn't, and I sort of thought like, well, maybe incorporating a few things wouldn't be that big of a deal, but it actually was a big deal and made a big difference. And then, but that was a sort of a slippery slope. And I sort of slipped off it more and more. And, and then just sort of got back to eating sort of as I normally did very meat-based, not really any processed foods, but still eating fruits, vegetables, carbs, things like that. And then sort of five, six years ago, I came across information where like no humans, like from all intents and purposes, have evolved as carnivores and have been living as carnivores for millions of years. And that is uh, uh, what we're biologically adapted to eat and thrive on. And so things just started, started clicking into place. And I was a doctor at that point, And I was looking at medicine from that standpoint that humans are animals and the kind of animal we are has a specific biologically appropriate diet. And if you eat outside of that diet, things are going to go wrong as they do with any other animal species out there this is why there's signs of the zoo and the and parks that say, don't feed the animals. This isn't their food that makes them very sick. And so, you know, we're animals too. And if we eat outside of our of our species specific nutrition, we're going to get sick. And so things just started clicking into place from a, from a chronic disease standpoint and had just the general health standpoint. And so that's what I've been doing for a while is, is trying to research and go get into the literature, see what we can prove, see what we know, which is actually quite a lot. And, uh, and then use that to try to help people get better. So that's a great segue because you did a really awesome talk about why we're carnivores, very straightforward. Mm -hmm. And I think on social media, uh, Courtney, especially on her page asks, gets asked all the time, well, what are the characteristics? Like, why do you think this way? So from a biological ancestral standpoint, um, things, characteristics, what specific characteristics for people who are very questioning towards this lifestyle? Um, what about us as people characteristically points to that, that life, that, that proper human ancestral diet. Yeah. Well, I think that you, you, you have to think of this in the context of, of who we are. We say we're primates, right? So we have, we have primate anatomy and physiology with certain changes and adaptations that I think point towards us being carnivores. And there are carnivorous primates. It's not like, you know, it's only gorillas and chimpanzees out there. There are plenty of carnivorous uh, primates. And so, in fact, some of the oldest primates, uh, that, that are still around are purely carnivores. Right. So 
we are carnivores. We come from an herbivorous past, actually about eight to six to 8 million years ago, our ancestors were herbivorous. And so we have certain characteristics like a jaw that can move side to side. Normally you see that in herbivores, but the thing is you don't lose a trait evolutionarily, unless there's an, an, a survival advantage to losing that trait. Otherwise it just perpetuates because there's, there's no driving factor to make it go away. Um, but we have, you know, small teeth, small jaws, small muscles of mastication because we're chewing on softer things. You know, meat is actually quite soft sticks and, and leaves and fiber is actually quite hard. You have to be chewing, chewing, chewing to break that down. That's why gorillas have much bigger teeth, much bigger jaws. They say, oh, well, we don't have these big canines and fangs like a, you know, a dog or a cat. It's like, well, right. Well, we don't kill things with our mouths, first of all. But look at, look at uh, a, a gorilla, they have big fangs. They don't, they don't need any meat. They don't use those to hunt. That's not what those are for. Those are, those can be defensive as well as offensive. And also, you know, we, we, um, we have other changes as well um, because we didn't need the big teeth and the big fangs and the big claws because we use tools. In fact, we had to use tools because we didn't have those, those characteristics. And so like, well, it's like a lion or a wolf can take something down with their mouth and their claws. We weren't able to, so we had to figure it out. We had to use our brains. We had to sort of, uh, you know, use our brains, use our techniques and tactics. We developed tools. We developed, uh, uh, other sorts of means to get this nutrition. And that's why we have advanced technology and our brains grew. That's what, that was a driving factor for our brains. Whereas if you have the physical characteristics to just get your food, people say it's like, oh, we're, we must be frugivores because our hands are perfectly adapted to pick an apple. I'm like, okay, well, you know, but <laughs> your brain's not going to grow too big if you're just doing exactly what you're perfectly physically adapted to do, you know? And, um, you know, when you have other primates that just have their physical adaptations and they can just pick fruits and, and pick leaves and do all that sort of stuff. Their brains aren't that big, you know, and they don't, they don't have any reason to be that big. Chimpanzees are getting a bit smarter and they're also using sticks and making spears to hunt. It's like planet of the apes going on, but like, you know, that's, that's kind of getting a little freaky, but um, you know, but they're, they're more intelligent than say gorillas who don't do that. You know, and so, you know, the tools that they're using, using to like, you know, get twizzle termites or use this stick to like hunt monkeys, which is crazy. So they're, that's developing their brain. Um, more importantly than that, though, we have very low stomach pH, like very, very low, like to, to the level of like a buzzard or a vulture, you know, because our, our ancestors were not able to hunt big animals right away. We were scavenging, we were eating carrion, and we were using rocks to, break open the skulls of animals going back millions of years. This is the first instance of, of tool using. And, and so we had to eat this like half rotten flesh at a high bacterial content. And also we, did, we haven't had refrigerators more than a century. So this is, you know, something that we've had to contend with for a long time. So we have a very low stomach pH. This is something you see in scavengers and carnivores, like, you know, lions will have like a pH of two. Ours is about 1.5 or less. So it's very, very, very acidic. Whereas like, you know, cow and other herbivores would be like, you know, six, seven, something like that. And so it's, it's very different from that standpoint. Also, our guts are very different. People talk about how, oh, we have, you know, the guts of a, of a, of a herbivore. Well, that's not true. 
first and foremost, we just talk about function. We cannot break down fiber. We don't have that ability anymore. And so, you know, function is, is the driving factor there. And so we don't have the ability to break down plants very well. We have a great ability to break down meat and people say, Oh, you, you can't break down meat. That, that's a lie. That is a flat out falsehood. You know, you can break down meat and liquefy it and absorb it in the first part of your small intestine in, in an hour or so, you know, you cannot ever break down fiber. It doesn't happen. And so you have to pass it out. Um, so that's, that's another reason, um, is the function, but if you just look at the form, right? So we have low stomach pH, right? That's indicative of being a carnivore. We actually have a longer elongated, small intestine, much longer than other primates. And this is in, and this is also in keeping with carnivores and our, and our large intestine is much shorter and then much shorter in proportion to other primates and other herbivorous primates and other carnivorous primates were sort of matching up as well. Then, you know, talking about the fiber thing, you know, we used to be able to break down fiber and how we used to do that is by having this elongated cecum, which is now an appendix, very small little vestigial organ. You know, this is something, you know, I learned in, you know, grades, you know, grade school biology, this is a vestigial organ, you know, this is something that millions of years ago did something. Now it does nothing you know, and it's just, it's just sitting there. Well, millions of years ago, it was this four foot long cecum and that's in other primates that who are herbivorous, they have this very elongated, uh, cecum and that's where fiber packs into and breaks down, uh, into short chain fatty acids through the bacteria that they cultivate there. No vertebrate animal can break down, uh, fiber. So they have to cultivate these specific bacteria. So we've lost that. You know, that's because we haven't used that cecum to break down fiber in millions upon millions upon millions of years. And so there was a survival advantage to get rid of that organ because we weren't using it and it was, it was taking energy and resources to maintain that. And so that was a survival advantage to go away from that. Herbivorous primates all have very large cecums. And, and in fact, all, a lot of, they're called hind gut digesters. And there's a lot of other animals like koalas are hind gut digesters too. There's a lot of other animals that have that elongated cecum and that's how they can break down fiber. So th those are sort of the main ones. I, I think that, that go into that also, you know, we, we aren't, you know, herbivorous animals are able to break down fiber with the bacteria that, that are in their gut into short chain fatty acids. Okay. So they're still getting the majority of their calories from fatty acids from fat, saturated fat, and then the die off of those bacteria, they're absorbing those as well. And that's where they get protein. So the majority of their calories are still coming from fat and protein. We don't have that ability anymore. We can't extract those, those same nutrients to that degree anymore from plants. And so we really have to eat, you know, animals and, and the fat from those animals. That's why we have, um, you know, the ability to absorb high amounts of fat with our bile, we produce about a liter, well, 800 mils to a liter of bile every day. And that corresponds with the amount physiologically that I think that your body wants to absorb in fat. So it's quite a lot of fat, you know, you can't really absorb fat without bile. And so we have four organs all working in concert just to absorb fat, right? Liver makes bile, gallbladder absorbs it. Pancreas uh, produces lipase and, and other enzymes to break it down and your small intestine absorbs it. So, so you have, we have four major organs all working together just to absorb fat, right? And other primates, they do that in their hind gut, you know, through the breakdown process of, of, um, fiber. So I think there's quite a lot. And then, you know, so just physiologically and anatomically and biologically, you know, that is, that is in keeping 
with us being carnivores, but also there's just a ton of fossil record, you know, the stable isotope um, research that's been done, tons of different studies that use this all over you know, with ancient Egyptians, as well as going back tens of thousands of years, millions of years, and looking at what people ate, you can actually tell what people ate or what different animals ate. And you can tell if they were eating a bunch of plants or if they were eating animals that ate plants, or if you're eating animals that ate animals that ate animals that ate plants, right? So you can actually, you know, stratify the actual food chain. And they found that that humans, Neanderthals, and our ancestors had a higher carnivore rating or at the top of the food, a higher position uh, on the food chain than lions, hyenas, foxes, and wolves alive at the same time in the same area. So for me, this is this is all very good information pointing towards the fact that we're carnivores. And when you see in practice, people going from a, from a, a plant-based diet or a traditional diet, or even a Mediterranean diet and going to a purely meat-based diet, carnivorous diet, and their health improving dramatically by all metrics. I think that that's just, you know, uh, a proof of the theory right there. Yeah, that all is fascinating. I learned a lot, um, but it's just weird that a lot of people don't care about everyone's benefits or everyone sharing these stories. Like they're still like, yeah, no, like that's not healthy, but it's like, all this proof that you said, and we're thriving and it's still like not good enough for people. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it, I mean, it takes a lot of, um, you know, it takes a lot to turn around these sorts of public opinion. And especially because this has been driven into people's heads for 50 years now and longer. I mean, the sugar companies have been trying to vilify fat since the 1950s and say, yeah, well, fat's really not good for you. And so, but you need those calories. So why don't you replace them with sugar? Isn't that a good idea? You know, just, just literally just replace, you know, hundreds, if not, you know, over a thousand calories a day just by eating sugar, because it's an empty calorie, you know, it just gives you energy. And, uh, and you know, that fat, oh, it could be bad, you never know. And that was something that Ansel Keys, that, that douche, you know, he argued, like, he said, <laughs> you know, he was just like, He's like, well, you know, you know, cholesterol and fat, you know, you know, may or may not be bad for you, but you know, like, what does it hurt? Like not eating, it isn't going to hurt you. So why do you want to just, you know, play it safe, not eat it, replace it with sugar and, uh, and, and you'll be all right. Well, you know, he was a paid shill of the, of the sugar companies. He was bought and paid for by the sugar companies. Now, maybe he did some good research earlier in his life. You know, he's the guy who came up with the RDAs, you know, um, which are only applicable if you're eating a, a, you know, a mixed diet, because that's who they were studying at the time. Um, you know, and, and he, you know, he got his reputation was able to affect such change and be in a position to be bought off because he had done a lot of work. But I think that everything he's done ever has is suspect. You know, we know that he was bought off, we know that he's, he's uh, falsified his information, we know that he has, um, you know, fudged the numbers and cherry picked data. We know that that's a matter of record now. So maybe some of this stuff is true. Maybe he did some good research. I think you throw it all out because the guy is suspect. You know, we, we know that he was bought off in certain regards and in certain instances. So everything that he is now is, is just, you know, fruit of the poison branch. Like it's just, it's just, he is a fraud. And so how do we know which ones are fraudulent and which ones aren't, which ones are good science and which ones are, you, you, you don't know. You can never know. So you just, you just have to throw it out and be like, well, you're useless and, uh, and get rid of it. It's so funny because if this were like, especially this day and age, if this were any other facet of study, he would have been totally like written off as, you know, a fraud immediately, but because it's just so ingrained in society there, they won't do it because then 
everyone else is liable that has ever followed his advice. But can you imagine if this were in any other, you know, academic setting, he would just be, I would be like, oh no, no, no. He would be totally invalidated. But can you imagine the money that would have to be fronted for all the horrible, horrible nutrition advice that they have been recommending for so long? I mean, they just can't at this point. It's, it's so messy. Yeah, well, it's, it's a good point, you know, because like if you look at the tobacco companies, you know, they, you know, they had the, the tobacco, you know, documents that came out, you know, for, for decades, they were saying, no, there's no evidence that, you know, tobacco is, and nicotine is addictive, or that it causes cancer, you know, it's like, well, there's this study that shows this, it's like, oh, yeah, but look at this other study that show that it's like, yeah, you paid for that study. All right. <laughs> and, um, you know, and so that's the thing is, that, and that's what they do. And that's what the sugar companies do. They, they put out all this, this uh, opposition research. They've been doing this since the fifties um, saying that sugar is always actually good for you or it's safe at least. And, and, uh, and that fat's bad and all these sorts of things. And so it muddies the water. And so you say like, oh, look at all these, these, these studies that show X, Y, and Z. It's just like, yeah, they're all bought and paid for. They're all industry research. And, and while that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're garbage, you know, it, it does make you think. And so if every single piece of industry research is saying one thing and every single piece of independent research is saying another, you know, you, you have to wonder. And, and the reason that they do this is because now they're just like, oh, look, it's 50, 50. We've got half the studies saying X and half the studies saying Y. So ugh, I guess we just, mm, I guess we need to think about it more. I'm like, well, if you hadn't put out all this garbage, then it, it would be a very different story. And, and, um, you know, and, and that's, that's something that they do to protect themselves. The, the, tobacco companies did for decades to protect themselves and protect their interests. And, and then it blew up in their face when they had actual documents leaked out to Congress that said like, oh yeah, there's all, all of their own studies were showing that they were, that tobacco and smoking were addictive and, uh, and caused cancer, or at least were, were, had a high association with cancer. And so that came out and they got, you know, fined like hundreds of billions of dollars. Well, now we have the sugar documents we have from the sugar, uh, different sugar companies back in like the fifties and sixties talking about how there was research actually showing that sugar was actually causing heart disease. And like, well, we need to put something out there. We need to get a scapegoat. And they picked, they picked um, cholesterol and saturated fat. And so, you know, we have documentation of them paying off Ansel keys of them paying off multiple other professors, you know, like there was uh, the journal of American medical association published this, um, uh, a review by the University of California, San Francisco in 2016, where it was, it was actually their own internal documents talking about how they paid off in this particular instance, three Harvard professors to falsify data and publish fraudulent studies to make it appear as if cholesterol caused heart disease when it was really sugar and then to exonerate sugar. And one of those professors was named head of the USDA. And he was the one who authored and published the 1977 USDA declaration saying that saturated fat and cholesterol caused heart disease and just shut it down. And it did shut it down. And since then, the heart disease rates have tripled. You know, we, we reduced our fat and, uh, and cholesterol intake by 30%, reduced red meat by 33%, increased fruits and vegetables by 30 and 40% respectively. And heart disease has tripled. And, all, and, and so many other things have increased as well, including obesity and cancer. So you know, that, that's just sort of indicative of this. You can get people in high places saying things that are completely suspect. And now we have hard 
hard data on that. So it would be nice if these people could be held accountable. I don't know if they can be as like statute of limitations on these things. And, and unfortunately, uh, Ansel Keys is dead, so we can't kill him. And, um, you know, so it's, uh, it may, we may have sort of lost the, lost the, our chance here, but, you know, we can at least educate people and show the historical record and let people become aware of the fraud. And, and so that they can, they can make, you know, different decisions if they choose to. Yeah, it's just so maddening because I feel like everything is just about money. Like for all of this, all this nutrition stuff and everything on the shelves is just because people want to make money and uh, pisses me off. I think a lot of people are like, this isn't a conspiracy. And I am like, I agree. I think it's very, I don't think anyone's trying to hide anything anymore. There's, you know, evidence and paperwork and documentation. I, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I just think that they are so reliant on us being dumbed down because it's just been regurgitated information for decades that there's that there's no hiding it anymore. It's very openly out there and you can research, um, you know, the internal, the, the studies done by the companies who are paying for the product that they're studying. I mean, I don't think it's a conspiracy. I think it's very obvious, but I don't know why it's labeled. Well, this is a, cons you know, this is a conspiracy to think that it was all fraudulent. It's like, it's not, it's actually very, very evident if you just do a little bit of researching. Yeah. Well, the thing is too, is, you know, conspiracy is just, is just a group of people conspiring for a certain end. Right. And, you know, but, but, you know, when people say like, oh, you, you're calling something a conspiracy, um, you know, sort of conspiracy theory, you're a conspiracy theorist. And that, that automatically means you're crazy, right? Because there's right. a lot of people that, that are saying some pretty wacky things. Um, and so, so there's that, so you get lumped in there or, or something denier, you're saying you're a Holocaust, you know, it's equating it to a Holocaust denier saying you're denied that this ever happened. You're a whatever denier. And, um, you know, you, you don't have to be, I mean, the thing is, is that you're not paranoid if people are actually out to get you, you know, and, uh, you know, there are people that are actually trying to, to, like you're saying, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it, it is out in the public. It is out in the open. You know, we have hard documentation of this. So whether it was people were conspiring or whether they were just trying to protect their interests, it happened. You know, so it's not a conspiracy theory anyway. It's not a theory. It is fact. It's a it's a it's a matter of record. And so, and whether you choose to recognize that record and 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 whether that changes anything for you, you know, is immaterial. It is a matter of record. That did happen. You know, they did put out different research, they did pay off different professors like Ansel Keys, like these guys from Harvard and others in order to protect their interests. So it's not a theory. It is a, it is a hard fact. And that is just what it is. Yeah. Well, that's what I like to say, like, oh, because mm -hmm. I've been called, you know, you put your tin hat on your conspiracy theorists. It's like, mm -hmm. well, they're, I'm not, they're not conspiracies if they keep coming true, you know? Or, or so, conspiracy theories, because it could be a conspiracy. It's just not a yeah. conspiracy theory. It's a conspiracy fact. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's in the peer-reviewed literature. You know, this happened. Yeah. You know, we have we have their own documents, right? It's not someone else saying, "Oh, I saw this guy who said this thing." It's like their own internal memos, their own internal documents. They talk about how they paid off these guys. We even have their contracts. We have the contracts that they paid these guys, $6,500. That's how much they got paid. That's equivalent to about $50,000 in today's valuation. That's how much it costs for them, for their, their entire academic integrity and, uh, and, and just their, the, the health of the world. That's what was, 
that was uh, how much uh, they needed to pay them in order to completely betray every ounce of, um, you know, of academic, um, you know, integrity that they have ever had. And it's, it's pretty shocking, but we have their contracts with their signatures on it. Like this is not, this is not a, a theory. This is, this is a hard fact and people can look it up. Journal of American Medical Association, 2016, they published this. It was from the University of San Francisco uh, Medical School, UCSF. So this is just, this is just a matter of record, just like the tobacco, tobacco files. We now have the sugar files. This is a fact. And hopefully they uh, have to pay something for it. I mean, they make $1.3 trillion a year. So, you know, $400 billion fine probably is not going to do too much to them. But, you know, you, you, at least it would be something and to get this out on the record because people still smoke and people still smoke a lot. You know, even even that coming out saying like, oh, yeah, you know, they admitted all this stuff. It really didn't didn't um, change too much. I mean, you know, smoke rates did go down, but, you know, they haven't stopped. And, you know, so at least getting it out there, at least it will be uh, better so people can understand what they're working with and understand that sugar is not just an empty calorie. It actually is a harmful substance that, you know, is, should be at least limited in our lives, but it's not, it's in everything. And so that's, that's part of the problem. Yeah, definitely. Devin, do you want to get to the other couple questions we have from that? So we have some questions that I feel like aren't addressed enough. Um, one of the ones that we really wanted to ask you about, because we know that you're starting to get into um, and have some background in cancer. Um, and there is a very, very popular thing that is out there that red meat causes colon cancer. Um, can you speak to that, the truth, the correlation, the causation, um, where that came from and why it's not true or it is true? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. So, so a lot of these, a lot of these things in um, nutritional science, if you can call it that is just epidemiological like surveys, like literally you send out a survey to, you know, several thousand people and you say like, well, what did you eat? How much did you eat? How do you feel? It's not great. It's not great information. It's not high level uh, evidence. Um, but if done well, you can, you can, you know, you can get some information out of it. And if you if you do it right, you can it actually be, um, uh, pretty useful. Uh, these ones, unfortunately were not, these were done. Uh, they, you know, they cherry picked data. They, they decided what went into the, 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 uh, results of this, uh, study They decided what didn't go in. Um, they also, you know, they, they lumped things in with meat that probably didn't deserve on it. So pizza counts as meat. I was like, well, there's a few other things going on there, you know? So it's not like they were, um, you know, they were trying to, you know, to, to, to figure out what people were actually eating. They were trying to lump in bad things like processed garbage, um, you know, pizza in with meat. And so if you eat a certain amount of meat and they were calling things meat that were mostly carbs and sugar and, and seed oils, you know, they were calling them meat and they were lumping all those in there. Uh, I think on purpose, honestly, because they're just, they had an agenda. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> and so the association that they found was actually still pretty weak. It was only an 18% increase in the amount of, um, <clears throat> of uh, increased correlation with red meat and, or just meat in general <clears throat> and uh, colon cancer. So <clears throat> 
when you're doing something like in a survey, obviously there's so many other things going on. There's so many other factors called confounding factors that, that could skew things one way or the other. So unless you find a, a pretty high signal, meaning there's a, there's a high association with it, like over 200%, um, you really can't count it for anything. You know, it really doesn't mean anything. So this was an 18%. So really it shouldn't even have made the radar, but people latched on that and say, oh, see, look, this increases your cancer rates and people just decided not to look into it and not to, to actually see like, well, is that actually a legitimate uh, conclusion to draw? Uh, they just said, Oh, look at that. And so it just got pushed around and pushed around and pushed around since then they've done other. And the thing is too, is that, you know, when people, people have been told that meat and red meat is going to kill you for what, 40, 50 years now. And so what are, what are some of these same people doing? Well, people that eat more meat than um, you know, than, they're saying that this, this threshold meets saying that, uh, you know, they're also more willing to smoke, more willing to drink, more willing to drive too fast, die in a car accident or dry, die in extreme sports. So these people have just basically said, you know what? I don't care if meat's going to kill me. I enjoy it. I'm going to eat it. So they have that attitude of like, you know, the devil may care sort of, uh, you know, attitude where it's just like, yeah, whatever, I'm going to live my life. And so there are a few other things going on there, you know, and smoking and drinking more than other people will certainly uh, damage your health. And so you can't really take that into account. Um, there have been other studies done since then. Um, I just sort of looking up here, but there was one uh, just published on the 10th of October uh, in Nature Magazine. Uh, and it's called the health effects associated with consumption of unprocessed red meat, a burden of proof study. And this is a meta-analysis that was done and actually showed, yeah, there's really uh, a weak, if any association between this and, you know, association is not causation. Correlation is not causation, right? Because there's a correlation between ice cream sales and shark attacks. Okay. That does not mean that like it, you know, when you buy ice cream, it just pisses sharks off and they just, they're just going to take you out. You know, it just means that there's something else going on there. That's influencing both, right? Because it's hot in the summer. And so people are buying ice cream and they're going in the water where the sharks are. Right. So correlation is not causation and all of these epidemiological studies, they can only ever show correlation and that's all they've ever done. And that's, that's why, you know, the, the nonsense of saying, you know, cholesterol and saturated fat, all oh, this definitely does this. There isn't a single piece of high level evidence to show causation between saturated fat or cholesterol and, and heart disease, none, zero zilch, nada, but there are numbers of studies and meta-analyses looking at the data and looking at the body of, of information. And they found that, Hey, look, there isn't even a correlation and even Ansel Keys original research, he cherry picked out which countries to look at in his seven nation study, you know, and that if you looked at all the stud, all the nations, you really wouldn't see a, a strong, even a strong correlation at all. It was, you know, half of the countries were, you know, that had high cholesterol intake actually had low heart disease rates. So, you know, this, there isn't even really a correlation here. If, if there is one, it's, it's weak. And then, and again, correlation is not causation. However, there are studies showing that there are no, there is no correlation. And while you can't prove causation with correlation, if you show that there's no correlation, that does prove that there's no causation because you, if, if something is causing another thing, they obviously would have a correlation, right? And so if you prove that there's no correlation, that proves there's no causation. And that's actually what a lot of these studies do. And that's, that, that big study in uh, nature showed, yeah, there's really isn't a correlation between uh, you know, meat and, uh, and uh, cancer either. Awesome. Yeah. 
yeah, <laughs> I feel like that is just one of the biggest things. And I get my, my grandpa had severe colon cancer. It ended up taking his life. And, you know, right. he was told to be on a high fiber diet and he died. You know what I mean? And so he ate all the nuts, all the seeds, all the things. He was a farmer. He grew his own vegetables and he still died. You know what I mean? So, um, I personally get a little like, huh, is that something I should be concerned about? And I just, I, based on my research, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, obviously, you know, what, what this is doing. So, you know, it, well, and what's concerning is I talked to my doctor last Tuesday about what I was eating. And he's like, oh yeah, um, you shouldn't have that much red meat. It causes colon cancer. We are, my opinion is we are designed to eat chicken and fish and I haven't eaten red meat in 30 years. And I'm like, well, I can kind of tell, like you're not the yeah. epitome of health. So that's kind of concerning that he's giving this advice yeah. out to people when clearly it's not accurate. Yeah. I mean, I eat red meat nearly every day of my life. So like, you know, and, um, and I, I just feel better when I do. Um, that, that's the funny thing too, is that, is that this just gets bandied around so much and just repeated so much. Listen to the words he said, red meat causes colon cancer. I would, I would ask him, is this like, that's really interesting. Can you show me the study that shows causation? I mean, shake his world, you know, because it's going to make him go, oh, well, he might get very defensive, you know, oh, I don't have time, whatever. But if he does, I mean, that tells you something too. You know I mean? He should be confident. I've got, I've got like hundreds of studies on my phone at all times. People say, well, where's the study? So oh, here it is. There you go. You know, I have no problem doing that. You know, I have no problem backing up what I, what I have to say. And, um, and so, you know, he should be able to back it up too, but that, but that's the thing too. It might make him think. You know, say, like, oh, can you show me the, the study that shows causation? Because I've, I've only heard that there was a weak association. They were problematic studies that, that had a lot of confounding factors. Is there, is there something that shows causation? You know, can you show it to me? You know, and say, oh, yeah, you know, no, it definitely is. Okay, can, can you show it to me? And, you know, maybe he'll just brush it off, but maybe it'll actually make him think and, and start looking around and going like, damn it, there really isn't anything. Like, oh, I need to, hmm, I might be giving the wrong advice probably not a lot of people it takes a lot it takes a lot for them to really uh, shake their beliefs but you know it does happen and i've spoken to, to a lot of doctors and i pointed these things out and they just go damn it like okay and then they start looking into it more themselves and then they start really finding i'm like yeah that's that's i i've found that there's a lot of things in medicine that are based on almost nothing but it sounded good at the time. It sounded plausible enough that it just got passed around and passed around and passed around and repeated so many times that people just said like, yep, that, that's what it is. And so, you know, I mean, the whole idea that, that cholesterol causes heart disease, you know, from the Framingham study, there's a fa famous study called Framingham study in Framingham, Massachusetts, where they, they followed people. It was like a, like a 30 year uh, perspective cohort study. They followed these guys for like 30 years or something, um, 20, 30 years. And and it was, you know, uh, taught to me in medical school that the Framingham study showed that the higher levels of, of cholesterol correlated with higher levels of, of cardiovascular disease, but that's not actually true. Um, the American, the, the actual results and the actual conclusions found the opposite actually found that if you lower your cholesterol, the, these problems went up and actually the higher cholesterol was protective. And the problem was that two years later, the American Heart Association misrepresented those results and said that they were the opposite. 
for whatever reason, I have no idea why. Uh, they may have been bought and paid for by the sugar companies too. I, I don't really know why else they would just make that up and just and completely misrepresent these, these uh, findings, but they did. And that is what was taught in medical schools for the next 40 years. And it was taught to me in medical school in 2009. So this is still going on. And, uh, and which is crazy because the actual Framingham study showed the opposite. So these are these things that just get repeated and repeated and repeated. And then you just, you just think it's true and, and it's not. And so I've had to go back through and when I've been looking through the data and the literature, I found that like, yeah, that, that is, that actually isn't, uh, something that's supported by the data and that, you know, we make this supposition and it sounds good at the time. And then people actually do the, the studies and say, okay, well, let's, let's take a look at it. Like there's too much protein damage your kidneys. And if you're having kidney problems, should you reduce your, your protein level? And that's what everyone says. They said, yes, you should. Well, actually the studies show the opposite, that, that higher levels of protein actually improve uh, kidney function and health and certainly don't, certainly don't harm it. And so, you know, I've seen people actually seriously improve their kidney conditions by going on a higher protein, you know, especially meat-based diet and getting rid of all these things that are harmful to them. I've seen people come off dialysis, which is not supposed to happen, you know? but it happens. And, and actually, yeah, I had an enlarged kidney and then I did carnivore mm. and I don't, I, I mean, I'm 30 years yeah. old. So to have like an enlarged kidney at 30 years old, I was like, shit, like, this is like <laughs> too young for this. Um, yeah. and pretty much everything went away when I started doing carnivore. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. That's fantastic. And, um, you know, and that, and that goes completely against what most people are being taught in medical school or even in their, in their, in their subspecialties in nephrology. You know, I, I've spoken to a lot of these guys. Oh, no, no, no. You gotta, you gotta get away from protein. I've had friends that have had kidney issues. My buddy of mine was 35 and he was going into kidney failure and he had, I think he had like 19% kidney function and it was just slowly getting worse and slowly getting worse. And he was working with this nephrologist and they were putting him on all these meds and told you have to go basically plant-based, whole food, raw vegan, all that sort of stuff and stay the hell away from me. And he was a power lifter, you know? And so he, um, you know, he uh, had been, you know, eating a lot of meat, but a lot of everything for his whole life. And, um, you know, and so he was just getting worse and slowly worse and worse and worse taking their advice. And the, you know, the argument is, it's like, well, everything's getting worse, but what's going on? I was like, well, imagine if you didn't take my advice, it would be really bad. You know, that's what they say. Um, but of course that's not the case all the time. And so I was speaking to him and I was just like, listen, I've, I've come across the sort of thing that meat actually being really good for you here. Here's the studies that show that that's good for your kidneys and that other things in plants that can harm your kidneys, like oxalates and other things that actually really bung up your kidneys. Um, you get rid of those things. So that can be good. And he said, you know what? Like I have nothing to lose. Might as well give it a try. In, in three months, he was back up to 80% kidney function. And his nephrologist was like, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to die. And it's like, it's going the opposite of what you're saying. You said to do all these things, take all these drugs. And this would help me. It only hurt me. Now I'm doing the opposite of what you said. I'm doing this other thing. And you're telling me don't do it, but it's actually helping. It's like, yeah, but it's helping now, but you're going to die. Like literally it's like, couldn't, couldn't even see what was happening in front of his face. You know, it, it was going completely counter to what he said was going to happen. A theory is only as good as what it's able to predict. And this guy was predicting dead opposite of, of the results of what he was actually getting. And, and he still didn't have the insight into the situation and go, huh, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe I should look into it. But yeah. So my, my buddy fired that guy. His, his kidneys are normal now. They're back to normal. That's so wild that they like, it, it's gotta be an uncomfortable feeling to question everything you've been told. 
and to have some doubts and ask questions. So yeah, that's pretty wild. I know you need to go. Devin, do you, you want to ask? We have just like three fun little quick answer yeah. questions for you before you tell everyone where to find you. We feel like it's always the same thing. And we want to like ask people things that are just not carnivore related. So number one, yeah. what are you currently watching or currently reading? Um, I'm reading, I'm reading uh, Victor Davis Hanson's book uh, called uh, Carnage and Culture. And it's just sort of a step back through, uh, you know, Western civilization and, 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 and warfare and, and how that's affecting how this, the Western culture just the idea of, of freedom and, and, and individual liberty actually makes big, uh, has a big effect on the battlefield as well, which is why Western civilizations have been as dominant as, as they have been historically in uh, the field of war as well, which is kind of interesting. And, um, you know, going back through, you know, from ancient Greek through Roman to, uh, you know, the conquistadors and, 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 and the world wars and things like that. Uh, pretty interesting watching i don't really watch too much i don't really have time to watch anything every now and then i'll just sort of be like oh i got some time maybe i'll, I'll watch netflix or something like that and i keep looking around i'm like there's nothing interesting on so i just keep like be watching archer and rick and morty that's basically like, oh when i watch things that's what i do and um, but yeah archer is like my favorite show of all time and then rick and morty would be right up there with it okay number two what is your favorite curse word um that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think probably the funniest is when you have someone call you know you call someone a fucktard. I mean, like, <laughs> I mean that one's just kind of funniest. Um, but yeah, I, I swear way too much. That's 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 actually a problem, and so I don't even notice it when I do it. But I have like two modes: I either swear a lot or I don't swear at all. And so if I'm in front of kids or patients or you know in a formal setting, like I won't swear at all. And then like you know with like my rugby friends and things like that, it's just like it's just a, it's just a, a cascade. Of, uh, of of profanity but um and i don't even notice one way or the other like it still seems the same to me i still feel like i'm just expressing my thoughts and uh and i'm with different people it just comes out very differently it's kind of funny courtney's the pot i we both we're both i'm married to a soldier so i was I'm <laughs> done for um yeah. and number three pre-carnivore what is your favorite what was your favorite non-carnivore food oh probably like thai food like pad thai i really like that yeah yeah that when's was, the last time you've had that 2016 maybe <laughs> yeah 2016 yeah do i was in thailand have, yeah okay do you good. ever have a cheap meal here and there nah you know i mean realistically like if you were if you were to ask me what my favorite meal was before i went carnivore it would still be steak like that was always my favorite meal you know my favorite non-carnivore thing would have been something like pad thai or something like that but uh no i always just loved steak i was just that was all i want you know that's what i was saying like it always feels like it's my birthday i was talking to my dad when i was doing this i was like it just feels like it's my birthday every single day because like on your birthday you get the meal the no guilt meal that it's like you can just have whatever you want because it's your day and every single time it was a big ass steak, you know, maybe some like prawns and butter and things like that. But it was just the main thing was just a massive, massive dish eating my fill on beef. And that is, that was every year. That's what I wanted. And so now it's every single day. That's what I have. And I wet age and dry age and prepare these things. And I was like, it's just amazing. My, literally my mouth is watering now. Like it's, <laughs> like, it's so good every single time. It's just amazing. So that's what, uh, that, that really has always been my favorite, uh, favorite food. So no, I, I don't need, I don't feel the need to cheat because I don't, there's nothing I, 
you know, when you, when you're, you know, you're married to a supermodel, you don't need to cheat, you know, like you're fine, <laughs> you know? And so like, I'm, 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 I'm happy with the way I'm doing it. Yeah. Well, it never gets old. Yeah. Well, thank you. Can you just tell everyone who might not know where they can find you, where you're most active, your, your, uh, social media handles. Yeah. Um, so, so my main thing is my, my YouTube channel, my podcast, my YouTube channel is just my name, Anthony Chafee MD. And I have a lot of different videos on there. Um, uh, my podcast is called the plant free MD, and that has a lot of the, you know, the audio version of, um, of, of my videos, but there's, uh, if people like listening to things as well, most, I have other things on YouTube as well. The little videos like cooking videos or other little, a lot of shorts and things like that. And then, um, and I do like live things as well on there as well. And then, and then other, otherwise social media wise, I, you know, trying to be more active on Twitter is just Anthony underscore Chafee. And then Instagram is probably mo most active on, and that's just Anthony Chafee MD as well. And, be, and I have other links and to different socials and rumble and all these sorts of different things. And they're all, you can all be found through, um, through like, uh, my YouTube or my Instagram. And I have a link tree there that has sort of everything else that people can find. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It was fun. Awesome. Bye.